And um, I want to start with gratitude. So first and foremost, I want to thank Vidyamala, who unfortunately isn't here because she's also left the Manchester Sangha to live in Ledbury with Sona. But um, she is a big reason why I'm here. She was a big draw for me. And um, I'll never forget when I decided I was coming to Manchester, which I'll say a little bit more about what led me to make that decision later. Um, But I came out here on a sort of um, scouting mission, you could say. I was scouting out... um, sanghas and places to live in England and uh, I spent a few days in the women's community in Manchester. Dayanandi was my public preceptor and she's a good friend of mine. I was also ordained with the Mogalila so I knew a couple women living there and um, Vidyamala was there and I had met her on retreat before about 10 years ago and um, she just was very open with me and she said oh great let's talk about you coming to work at Breathworks. She didn't know anything about me and then we met up on the convention that summer, a few weeks later. And after five minutes, she was offering me a job. And that was it. I was completely sold. It was like, great. Those are the skills you have. That's what Breathworks needs. Come and work for us. And um, I thought I was going to have to go through... Like, I thought it was the first phase in a negotiation process. <laughs> and <laughs> I thought what she meant was, we'll send you the application when it becomes available sort of thing. And that, you know, at some point I'd be invited in for an interview it was literally a very, very blurry Skype call with her and Sona in Australia. I think they were on the beach. And I couldn't even understand what they were saying. And then I realized that they were actually saying, no, you've got the job. We're asking you, when are you coming? <laughs> so that was it. Um, so firstly, wanted to thank her. And then also wanted to thank Sachamuni. Because um, when you move somewhere, you not only need a job, but you need a place to live. And Satchamuni was so, I mean, she hadn't even met me, and she offered me a place to live. And not only did she offer me a place to live, but she was, like, full of ideas about how it was going to happen and these amazing ideals around community and just sharing everything quite openly. And she's always been like that from day one, and she's just so generous. And um, it's very nice to live with a, with a um, fellow Dakini. So thank you. Um, and then, yeah, I wanted to thank, in particular, the members of my Mitra study group and people from Breathworks that are here tonight, because those have been my two main contacts for practice while I've been here um, at the Manchester Buddhist Center. Um, and then, of course, everyone else is here tonight. And all the um, one of the things that was so lovely when I first moved to Manchester was the number of people who approached me who wanted to meet up. I was not expecting that. Um, I thought I was going to have to sort of put myself out there, make new friends. Um, But actually, I had Insta friends. It was like just loads of people who just wanted to get to know me and um, were interested, showing a genuine interest. And that's been really lovely, both the men and the women, actually. Um, Someone's going to have to tell me when to stop. How long have I been talking already? Five minutes, maybe? Okay. Um, Yeah, throw things at me. So um, I don't know 
you know, everyone in the audience, I'll just, if, if I use any terms or anything that you don't understand, feel free to wave or make a face of some kind. Um, so yes, I came here, I, in a way I came here begrudgingly. I, um, I, was, I was a bit of a victim of circumstance. So I was in a relationship with a woman for 10 years who's British. Her student visas that she'd been on for 10 years had run out and there were no more options for her to stay in the States. So at that time, there was no legal way for her to stay through the relationship. But that has now changed, which is amazing. Um, so we decided to immigrate together. Well, she, she was just going to come home, basically, back to Britain. I was going to immigrate through my relationship with her. And um, in the process of all that happening, the relationship completely fell apart. And so there came, literally, there was a day where my visa arrived in the mail. And I had to decide whether I was coming or not. And everything in me was like, you are going to Manchester. You're going to work for Breathworks. And um, this line from this Rilke poem, the archaic torso of Apollo, the very last line came to my mind, which is, um, the very last line is, you must change your life. You must change your life. Um, so there is something in the dharmic life where things feel like they're just coming to a head. We're not making anything happen, but we've put in a lot of effort and we've kind of kept putting our intentions out there into the universe. And then somehow we just can't keep living the life that we've been living. We just can't. Um, it starts to feel unauthentic. It starts to feel like we're sort of living a lie. I was living in a very nice apartment in San Francisco, making $200 an hour as an educational consultant. Um, I spent my weekends, you know, camping in very nice places along the California coast, eating really nice food. Those of you who know me well will know that good food is very important to me. It still is. <laughs> Luckily, the Northern Quarter provides well in that area. Um, you know, I had... My life was this, basically this triangle between my apartment, the climbing center, and the Buddha center. And that was a really good life, actually. It was a really, really good life. I had a good life. I got to go bask in the sun every day. It was perpetual summer. I had access to fresh fruits and vegetables every day of the year that were local and organic. Um, but something wasn't, it wasn't enough. So why, what is that about? Why wasn't it enough? And um, it was, there was something in me that knew. I'm such a glutton. I'm such a heathen, really. Is that the word? And it was like, I'm just going to rest on my laurels if I stay here. I had come very far in the 15 years that I'd been at the, at the San Francisco Buddhist Center. I had come very far. I'd started out a really angry, self-hating, um, self-deprecating, young little baby dyke, basically. And I'd become, I'd gotten ordained in that context. So, but I knew I was just not going to make any more progress. I could probably make a bit more progress, but I was going to, I was getting lazy, basically. That's the bottom line. I was getting lazy in my practice. And I could have just, it's like samsara didn't have enough grit. And I came to Manchester and I said, this place has grit. <laughs> this place is gritty and gorgeous absolutely gorgeous. I remember walking down the street with, um, I think I was with Amit Ashuri. I'm not sure, someone from the women's community. 
don't know, maybe it was Manisha. And she said, what do you think of the weather? And I said, oh, it's really gray and cold and rainy. And she said, yeah, but when the sun comes out, doesn't the brick look lovely? And I was like, yes, it does. There's something about, um, I'd actually gotten used to the sun. How can you get used to the sun? The sun is this amazing thing. It's this amazing life-giving force that we all depend on. It's gorgeous. And I, would, I had just completely taken it for granted. So yeah, so I was in love with it immediately from that perspective of, yeah, I'm going to come here and I'm going to be up against myself in a lot of different ways. And when I first got here, I was really unhappy. It just, I don't think the sun came out for the first month. I moved in February because, you know, I'm, in, I'm an intense person and I like extremes. So I moved in February because I thought that's the best time to throw myself into Manchester weather. And it was not, I mean, not only did the sun not come out, but the, change, the sky didn't change. It was just this gray <laughs> blanket hovering over me. Um, yeah, and it was, it was great because I had to remind myself how to get into dhyana, which I hadn't done in years. I had to remind myself, so what that means for those of you who are meditators is that when you, when you learn how to meditate, you can actually learn how to um, access joy that is not based on external factors, but just based on being in a human body that has energy flowing through it. Um, so, you know, I'm not making any promises that may or may not happen, but for me personally, I have found that, and for lots of people I've taught, that has been the case, that we can access this upward-moving energy that is, that is described as joy or, or bliss. And um, I was like, okay, come on, Singer Sri, don't be lazy. Like, you know how to be happy. Just get on the cushion and meditate, and you will find internal peace and happiness. It may not last, but you can do that for yourself on a regular basis, and that is a self-healing activity. So I did. I sat a lot when I first came to Manchester. Um, and then there were other reasons, too. So I wanted to teach more. And being over here um, has given me that opportunity. So thank you again. The Manchester Buddhist Center actually signed me up to lead an introduction to Buddhism day with Moksha Jodi the first weekend I was in Manchester. <laughs> and it was because they'd asked Charnalika, and she couldn't do it at the last minute. And she just passed it on to me. Nobody knew who I was. No one had ever seen me teach before. And they put me in front of a group of like 25 people for a whole day. I'd never met Moksha Jodi. We sat down to plan the day. And I'd already looked at the like proposed agenda. And I said to him, right, so I'll do the wisdom bits and you do the rest. And he's like, okay, great. And that was it. <laughs> so thanks to, I mean, you weren't here then, but just whatever, whoever was in charge. I think Chandana must have been behind that. Just you know, um, blind faith. I could have been, you know, who knows what I could have gotten up and said that day. But I guess there is something about being retained that people kind of have a trust and faith that you'll do at least a good, as good as a job as the next person. So um, I have done a lot of teaching in the last four years. I've um, put myself out there as a young, I have to say as a young woman who's quite confident, who wants to teach in the movement, I have found it kind of hard at times. So it's not that um, people haven't been open and receptive to me doing that, but there isn't actually any way of, um, like there's no system. So if you want to teach, you kind of have to really put yourself out there. So I also want to thank and commend the Manchester Buddhist Center for thinking about that, because while I've been here, there have been efforts to 
help to systematize more um, clear pathways that are transparent for people who want to teach to learn how to do that and to learn alongside order members and other people teaching and to grow in that skill set and then to see what the opportunities are from that point forward and get real friendship and mentorship around that. So not just the people who maybe um, at the outset are, are the obvious choices and also um, you know, the resources it takes to be able to teach. So I'm only able to teach because I work for a team-based right livelihood that is very flexible with me and my time and allows me to go off and teach on long retreats and dedicate my time to that, which is all volunteer. So yeah, just, I guess I, I don't have any conclusions about that, but I just want to say that that has been my experience in the first four years living in England and trying to throw myself in as a teacher in the movement that there are barriers um, to, to young women, especially diverse women. So if I'm exotic, then great. Calm, you know, I'm happy to stand up and be the representative of you know, Hispanic American teachers in the movement. <laughs> um, but yeah, just that we need to look at issues of access and relevance and, um, yeah, and, and, and creating real opportunities for people. So it's not just the people with the resources and the apparent talent or the obvious talent who get to do it. Um, so I thought to say a bit about what I've learned. Apparently, I'm a breath of, breath of fresh air. I've been that has been that has been said to me directly more times than I can count, and I've never understood what it meant until Artsevada just said what he said. So thank you, you clarified that for me. So I'm just like, isn't everyone a breath of fresh air? But I get it now. Yes, I am a breath of fresh air. Um, being direct, so being direct does have its benefits. I can sort of um, play the naive American, especially in like tough meetings where there's something going on between you all and I'm just like, what's happening now? <laughs> and kind of help cut through whatever that, whatever that thing is, which I, I don't understand. There's some way of people being polite and not really saying what they want or something. Um, <laughs> So yes, it's been interesting because I, you know, in addition to teaching, one of the things I love doing is facilitating as we were, you know, you're saying about the visioning process. So that's been really, really good for me to, um, I, it was so funny. I went back to um, the States and did some teaching with the Jamal this summer and we were running a retreat with MBSR and MBCT, that's mindfulness teachers in the States. And um, by the end of the day, I was absolutely exhausted and Rijamal was like, what's wrong? And I, and, I, and I said to her, I think I've been completely de-skilled in facilitating groups since I moved to England because Americans make you work so much harder. Like, they're all piling in. I was having to, like, say, well, you wait, and then you talk, and then you can talk. And I never have to do that with English. In fact, with English groups, I have to kind of do a lot more pulling out. And so I was like, oh, I've been completely de-skilled in facilitation since I moved to England because the English are so polite. They just let me take over, which I'm really happy to do. All right, um, so a few other things I've learned. Quite good doesn't always mean good. <laughs> so it depends on the intonation, doesn't it? I got that one. Um, when people ask me what I want, it's because it's what they want. So would you like the window closed? <laughs> no. Would you like the window closed? Would you like the, the heat on? No. Well, well, I'm going to put the heat on. Okay. 
Um, tea actually means dinner sometimes, but it's not clear to me when. <laughs> so when people say, have you around for a cup of tea? I actually, or for tea, I don't know if they mean dinner or a cup of tea. Although the time that they invite you over may be a clue, right? Is that right? No? Uh, pudding does not actually mean pudding. So pudding in America is this sort of soupy, sweet thing. It's kind of like custard. But you all mean dessert, don't you? And it's generic. <laughs> it's generic. So when someone says you like pudding, if you say yes, you actually don't know what you're getting. Right? Is that right? Yeah. And if, if it's a fruitcake, you're totally screwed, <laughs> in my opinion, because I don't, I don't do fruitcake. OK. Um, that's it. That's all I've learned in four years. Sorry. I tried to think of other things. But I'm sure there's more, but. Um, <clears throat> So just a few things I've learned about the movement, because it's been really interesting coming from a situation that's so removed. I mean, San Francisco is, may as well be on another planet in terms of the movement. Um, you know, people are wearing cases, and we do the references and precepts, and we're following Bonte's teachings. You know, there's, there's all those basic things, but then there's other things that are just... Um, so I wouldn't say that they're really different, but it's more that I think I had gaps in my knowledge about, um, well, for example, San Francisco is a very, very small situation, so all of my mitra study was always mixed. I never even knew that there was such a thing as single-sex mitra study. So coming over, that was a really big shocker, actually, and I, had, and I did ask a lot of questions, like, why is it done that way? What's that about? And it was good, because um, I am a good listener, and I try to listen. And part of the reason why I try to listen is because I haven't always been a good listener. So it's something that I know about myself that I want to be better at, so then I really try. And um, I have to honestly say, I've never gotten the same answer twice when I ask that question. And that doesn't mean that it's not a good thing to do, because it's clearly a meaningful thing to do, and very, very meaningful to lots of people. But I don't know what the principle is behind it. And I, um, it's not that I don't know it. I do know it. I know it for myself, my own experience. But I want... And so I'm just using that as an example. I don't think there's, a, there's anything necessarily wrong with it. But I want the movement to ask why all the time. I want people to ask, why are we doing it that way? What is the principle behind it? And let's clarify together. And if it's not working for whatever reason, I'm not saying it's not working at the Manchester Buddhist Center, but I'm just using that as an example. If something's not working, let's change it. And I just the reason I'm saying that is because... Um, that's what, I, that's what I do. I ask why, and I, and I will keep doing that. But I want, us all to, um, I want us all to have that kind of courage. Yeah. So not just, just go along with things, because that's the way we have always done them. Because that's when things get stuck and stale, and we become an institution rather than a living community of practitioners. Yeah. So whatever. I mean, you don't, I, I still don't have any conclusions about single-sex ministry. I'm sure it's fine. Like, I've done it for three years. My group's been amazing. It would have been a completely different experience if it had been mixed. So it's not that I think that there's, again, not to say that I think that there's anything wrong with that, but just for us to, um, to just keep coming back to principles and not get stuck in strategies or, or because that's the way we've, we've always done it, but really just get clear. If that's how it is, why is it like that? And is that useful? And there may be some people who things aren't useful for. Maybe they need to find a different, you know, a different tradition or whatever. So that's also valid. So it's interesting for me, coming from the outside, to have come up against something and gone, what's that about? 
I was in a single-sex um, ordination process, and it wasn't straightforward for me because as a lesbian, um, the, the number one reason that gets held up is to just simplify things. And I think, okay, well, for me, it's a lot more complicated, actually. Um, so, yeah, that's just, that's just me using this podium to do my little soapbox thing. So I've done it now, and I'll stop on that issue. Um, also, interestingly, in the movement, we're in a very particular time in our history. I feel like we're in the, um, like, if we were a person, we're sort of in the late teens, early 20s phase. So we're sort of, like, we kind of know who we are. But there's still a lot of um, discovery happening and sort of reckoning around certain things. And Bonte is, he's going to die soon. You know, there's, he's... Um, he just turned 90. So his death is a very imminent event uh, for all of us in our collective imagination. I, I remember I was at Ajastana not that long ago, and I was talking um, with the gardener. And I said, oh, so how's it going? You know, what, what's your next big project? And he's like, oh, I'm really excited. I'm working on Bonte Stupa. And I thought, <laughs> wow, that's really intense. <laughs> But, you know, for them, at, at Ajisar, it's like, it's just what's going to happen. And, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. It's not this, I mean, it will be a very sad moment, but it's not something that they're, um, you know, in denial about or not willing to talk about. So it is, it's there for us. And so I think that there's this really interesting kind of ebb and flow and um, dynamic right now between sort of um, the folks who, whose job it is to hold the tradition in place and really kind of keep clarifying and saying, yeah, this is what it is, and this is how we do it. And then folks on the edges who kind of keep saying, but what about this, and what about this, and oh, what about this thing? And, um, and a really interesting dynamic and conversation that's happening between those. And so one, it, interestingly, coming over here and working for Breathworks, which is a leading um, organization in the UK who teaches, we teach mindfulness to people with pain, stress, and illness. And we've been doing that for almost 15 years but only just in the last, I think, five years as mindfulness has become this really popular um, buzzword in the media and in, in the popular imagination, you could say. Um, we've also had to kind of look, step back and say, okay, what exactly are we doing? Because it is the Buddhist teachings, but it's in a secular way. And our own people within our own tradition aren't clear about what we're doing and why and how it fits. And People out there in the world don't know what it means for it to be part of a Buddhist tradition. So it's a very interesting time for us internally and then for the movement to also respond to us. So I'm interested as well in um, robust communication and dialogue about that. I'm not interested in opinions about it. I would like us to get beyond our, even for me, my own set opinions about what is or isn't appropriate for us to be doing in the world, but for us to actually try and understand what those efforts are about, and help each other in that clarification process um, so that whatever we do do as members of this community um, is something done both with the blessing and support of our community but also in the best interest of putting the Dharma out there in the world in a way that's clear and, um, and helpful. So mindfulness is a really good example in a way of one of those things that's sort of pushing the boundaries and also um, forcing a clarification. And then the other one is this really interesting thing that's going on now. So we've got the internet. And then we've got people on the internet who found each other who are really interested in waking up. But they're not necessarily interested in religion 
or even spirituality. So even brain science is now telling us that there is no self. There is no self. There is no little bright light in our center of our heart that never changes and just sitting there waiting to go to heaven after we die. Um, so what does that actually mean for humanity? So there's people, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people out there who are waking up without Buddhism, without any kind of spirituality. And whether or not that's a good thing, I have no idea. I don't know those people. I don't talk to them. But it's just a phenomenon that's happening out there in the world, which is just really interesting to me that it's out there, yeah? So people who are just like, yeah, there's no self, and we can do it. We can wake up to our no self, and how great is that? But there's no context for it. There's no spiritual community. There's no vision. You know, Bonte's teachings on right vision, that you've got to have the view. You've got to have the big view, which is, in my opinion, pretty synonymous with Buddha. If you look at the three jewels, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. So there's, in a way, there's not, it's not in the context of the three jewels. So Tiranas, this amazing opportunity. We're just, like, the, for me, I don't see either of those things as threats. I see them as amazing opportunities, mindfulness, and this desire in the world to wake up to this illusion that keeps us in um, conflict with each other, keeps us suffering, keeps us causing suffering for ourselves or others. So you've got the mindfulness field, which you could say is like samatha. It's like people want to be calm and peaceful and just find a way to settle. And then you've got this other, which you could call vipassana or insight, this other kind of move towards waking up, this robustness around wanting to see through. And then you've got the movement, which is like, I think is in a way could give the world a middle way. Like, yes, you can do both those things, but without the context of the Dharma, it doesn't mean anything. Like, yeah, okay, maybe you'll be a little bit happier and not so stressed out and you'll know you don't really exist. But what then? Yeah, so it's missing something that we can offer, which in a way is probably that next step, which is compassionate, spontaneous compassionate activity in the world in a collective context, which is much more powerful than anything any one of us can do alone. I'm totally going off script, and I think I should stop. <laughs> I think I'm being quite American, aren't I? Yeah. You'd wish you hadn't said that now, don't you? Um, yeah, I think that's all I really want to say, actually. I've been here for four years. That's like the same amount of time, I can't believe it, that I was in university. Um, and I feel like I've grown more in the last four years than I did and learned a lot more than I ever did in university. Um, and I am really sad to be leaving Manchester. So I have to say I've been quite ambivalent about it. So I'm following my heart. I'm going to London. I'm starting a Breathworks office in, at the West London Buddhist Center. Um, and it feels like it's what I was asked to do from actually lots of different people at different times, and I, I put the pieces together and said, well, maybe it could look like this. And with the help of Breathworks and their support, we are making it look like that. But um, it does mean me leaving Manchester, which is probably the one thing that I'm not that um, as behind as everything else. I'm really, really going to miss this sangha. So thank you so much, and I will be around, so hopefully I'll see you around the center when I come back for work, which will be like every week, it looks like right now. <laughs> so thank you.